And we're in the sermon series now, uh, Courageous Conversation, Collective Liberation. We're talking about racism, anti-racism, and where God finds us in all of And last week, we put our attention on the system. The way in which we often want racism to be about two people being nice to each other, but in fact, it's a big system that impacts us in all kinds of ways outside of the personal. This Sunday, we're going to bring it back to the personal. What does racism do to the insides of us? How can we undo some of those knots? And what does it take to do that? And we wanted to uplift Moses in that effort, because while Moses didn't grow up in white supremacy, white supremacy is a particular invention of our time and place and the last few hundred years, oppression isn't new. (laughs) Identity um, based oppression isn't new. And what Moses did experience was injustice based on who he was and where he came from and the people that he was a part of. And what he did experience was the complications of belonging to two groups at once that we've heard from many of our congregants is something that you experience in this system of racism that we're all living in, the air that we're all breathing. Um, That Moses both knew himself to be a Hebrew, knew himself to be a part of the group that was enslaved, that was disempowered in his uh, community, and he grew up in the palace. He grew up with a pharaoh's daughter, knowing intimately, loving people who had power, who hurt others, um, and also who loved him and who were people with whom he had relationship. And Moses goes back and forth a lot in this story about what his identity means. First, he sees himself to be a Hebrew when he sees a Hebrew being oppressed and then kills the overseer. Right? He sees himself in that person who is powerless and says, I must protect them. But what he learns in his next interaction with another Hebrew is that now all he is thought of is as another murderer from the palace, <laughs> another guy who uses violence, who grew up with power, and he doesn't feel like a part of that community. What it is to be a person inside of a system that hurts is a question for all of us, and a question that we all are kind of trying to take apart. And one of the ways that UBC has been trying to do that is through our anti-racism team which both functions as a team that looks at the way that we make decisions as a culture, as a community, and tries to make those things anti-racist, but that also gives us tools as people for trying to figure out this part of our faith experience, this part of who we are and who God is. And Sanjay has been a part of our anti-racism team, and we want today to kind of hear from him about that experience, what it has been for him, and talk about some things that might be helpful to you as we have our anti-racism team open house next week that you might go to to see how can I be a part of this work, what does it mean for me? And as later in the year, we start caucusing. Caucusing is gonna be when we have folks within our church um, talk about the role of racism in their life and our church in groups. A group for white people and a group of people of color because we have different experiences. To talk about those experiences and uh, unlayer the onion a little bit. So, thank you to Sunday for doing this for us. Yay, Sunday! And let's talk. Uh, how did you come to understand anti-racism as a part of your faith and personal identity? Um, and what does it mean for you? Yeah. Um, so, to kind of start with, like, uh, I grew up in a, in a church that was um, 
like a predominantly white church that also that was like relatively conservative in a lot of theological ways, um, and also just like a lot of like international and uh, within the United States like mission trips and things. So a lot of my like understanding of Christianity was kind of shaped by that milieu. Uh, and then uh, after I like after I grew up and uh, after I graduated from college, I was involved in uh, kind of anti-racist work that's not a, that was not like particularly faith-based. So I um, I volunteered with Invincible to Invincible, which is a, a LGBTQ Asian Pacific Islander group that also does a lot of activism, um, both around issues that affect the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, as well as in solidarity with other uh, communities of color. Um, so. I like had that exposure to things, so these were two different parts of my life that didn't really interact a lot. Um, but then, uh, so I, I came to UBC probably a year, a little over a year, um, when uh, we first started doing the anti-racist audit. So this was like three years ago, like late, like early 2017, I think. Um, and uh, so we had had two people at the Wicker Park site who had been on the team, but then had to like grad school or whatever. Um, and so Hannah was like asking me to like step into this and do the do the audit task force. Um, it was really interesting to me doing that. So I had experience thinking of thinking about anti-racism as like on a like broader systemic like how do we make the city more inclusive and how do we like but like looking at individual institutions and at the church, which is like the way that we as Christians are embodying the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, and how we need to make that better. That this was my that was really my first time interacting with that. Um, and so the, the the tools that I learned um, both from like uh, meeting with other people in that community as well as the training we got through our partner Crossroads kind of helped me clarify the relationship between like the anti-racist values I had and the faith values that I had as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, as you started to explore your racial identity through your work on the anti-racism team, as well as it sounds like on your personal journey in life, what are some of the most surprising or helpful things that you've learned, and what are some of the tools that help you in those things? Yeah. Um, I think for me, maybe one of the most uh, helpful, fruitful things um, has been kind of, so I, I also have um, some history doing like, like queer and trans activism, uh, and like those, that set of identities as well have helped kind of inform that. And one thing that I find I found really interesting is that so when we we talk about like white people and people of color, but the term people of color is really it's not like a single identity. It's like a coalition of different identities. It's a group of people who are saying solidarity, much in the same way that like um, when you talk about like the LGBTQ community, you're talking about people who have um, related experiences that are affected by the same system of oppression, which is like. Homophobia, transphobia, and sexism, um, but also like the individual experiences of being each of those different letters is is very different. Like, and that's true um, among people of color as well, right? The the way the things that I experience as like uh, a like South Asian person in the United States is different than like what someone who is who is black or Latinx would um, would experience. Um, and that's been so that's been really helpful for me, just like understanding like the stakes of what we're doing. Um, and then also recognizing that means whether it works for um, for all of us as individuals who are people of color to understand how um, racism affects people who have different experiences than ours, um, but recognizing that like 
our collective liberation means standing in solidarity with each other on that, like working, like working together to dismantle everything. Yeah, one, I wanted to get just a little history of the anti-racism team and how that came to be. And one of the things that you're talking about, right, this idea of collective liberation, none of us are free until all of us are free, you know, part of the body of Christ. Um, knows love and justice until all parts of the body of Christ know love and justice. If you're a toe and you feel okay, it doesn't matter if the ear is hurting, right? That, that we're bound up in one another. Um, and the anti-racism team at Urban Village started because we recognized there were ways in which we weren't living up to values that we said every single Sunday. <laughs> Urban Village got planted nine years ago. Um, and one of the ways that our former pastor Trey put it is that even with problems there, from the beginning, we sang the song of LGBTQ inclusion, like, naturally, right? Um, one of our founding pastors was gay. Uh, a lot of our founding, um, like, launch team were LGBTQ. And we found ways easily within our worship life, within our social life, to make public those values and to live in such a way that um, queer people felt held in the wholeness of who they were. We were not so good at singing the song of anti-racism <laughs> and of being a multiracial community. That's been harder work for us. Um, and after the first couple of years, it was the fact that we said inclusive every single Sunday and the fact that we talked about this stuff meant that leaders, both at a site level and an all-site level, started saying, we like say this, but it, we aren't doing it. <laughs> we aren't following through on <laughs> a lot of the things that we say. And they started to hold us accountable. They said, what would it really mean for us to be anti-racist? And so we hired a, an organization called Crossroads in Michigan to help us do an audit of ourselves. What is really up with what people experience in our worship, with what people experience in our decision making? And then we didn't just do the audit. We put together a team three years ago now to make sure that that audit is carried out in our life. And so that's the role of the team, to kind of um, keep us moving, keep us growing, keep us growing deeper. And one of the things that we found helpful um, in the anti-racism team is doing some self-examination and caucusing with some concepts that Crossroads taught us, particularly that of internalized racial superiority, IRS, and internalized racial oppression, IRO. Um, these are the concepts that we are socialized from birth, if we live in a racist system, to assume certain things about who we are, who others are, how the world works. For white people like me, that's internalized racial superiority. Right? That I have the world teaching me in white supremacy um, that white people should have power, that white people deserve to have power, that it's unusual for white people to not have power. And that teaches me all kinds of things about what I'm like and who I am. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what unfolding that has meant for me. Um, and then for people of color, and as Rachel pointed out, in different ways for different parts of the community of people of color, Internalized racial oppression is the socialization um, that people of color should have less power, are less, um, that white supremacy is real and right. And we both can work in a kind of dance to preserve the system, even when we as individuals understand that it's not good for anybody or that it's not what we want. And figuring out how we do that in our socialization is a really important part of reflecting on and undoing what racism is. So. If you could explain um, how you learned about that, what about that you found useful, how it's come into your life, that would be really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think a, a big way that uh, kind of the internalized racist oppression 
uh, has entered my life from a very young age, especially in church, uh, in church environments. It's kind of like, and, and it's hard, I, I, I'm saying this as a, a thing that's related to, to racism, it's also like internalized homophobia is part of it as well. Um, but the idea that like, you know, if I like do super well, I like learn all the Bible verses and like work really hard and like do all the mission things and like uh, volunteer and all the things that like, that's what I need to do in order to be like, um, like a good Christian and be part of the community. Um, and recognizing that that's like, that's like a, a false thing. That's, that's, that, that's not actually the case, that I'm loved as I am and all of that. Um, and, and I think that's one, one, of the, one of the ways that that shows up is also um, like wanting, wanting to like, uh, like take care of people, especially take care of like white people's feelings and like make sure that like things are, that like when hard conversations come up and uh, when God is like asking us to like step up and be better disciples and more inclusive and a more inclusive community, to be like, well, I don't know, like there are things like, I, I wanna see both sides of the issues. Um, and I think I think making sure that as that's happening, that I that I recognize and deconstruct that, and also with other people who have kind of similar impulses and experiences, especially other people of color, to help hold me accountable when that happens, has been really useful for allowing us to actually like think about how to restructure our 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 like our institution as a church and as a and as a community. Um, be effectively anti-racist and not like, and not like kind of keep us from being able to, to like be able to like fulfill the, the mission that we have. Yeah. One of the things that's been really just fascinating for me as we've gone on this journey as a church is that you see how all the things work the same way. So uh, effective therapy, good small groups, great spiritual formation and self-reflection and, and spirituality undoing racism in your life, undoing sexism in your life, a lot of these things have to do with reflecting honestly on what is really happening. <laughs> and the more you get in touch with what is really happening, the more able you become to resist the false lies, right? That you are unloved, that racism, that white supremacy is true and should be honored, right? Um, Every system, everything that makes me healthier in the end has had to do with asking God to help me be more honest and reflective about what was really happening, what was really going on. Um, and, and one of the things for me, there's been a lot of phases for me of being a white person for whom anti-racism has been a part of how I get to know Jesus. Um, one of the ones that I find really helpful to talk to other white people about when we caucus with, um, as, as white people, is an instinct that I still feel all the time, but that I really felt when I first learned about anti-racist work, which was um, being overwhelmed by the guilt spiral, right? That um, both didn't make me feel good, uh, forced other people around me to care for me, right? This is particularly true as a as a white woman that you people are socialized to care for your feelings <laughs> and to make them not be sad and bad, and it would prevent me from taking any action to change the things about myself or my community that worked away from justice, right? And so it took a long time for me to understand this guilt as not a reflection of who I was and not a reflection of who God was, but as a reflection of 
the system trying to stop me from being able to change <laughs> and, and me trying to stop myself from being able to change and my community be able to change. And, and the gift of knowing that and, and starting to work through that has made itself known in all kinds of areas of my life. Um, but there are often other things you might find if you start to do deep self-reflection on how this might have made itself a part of you and how it might be hurting you. Um, because one thing we know is that racism is not of Jesus' vision for the kingdom. And so if it is capturing you, it is hurting you. And it's hurting others. What are things you look forward to about caucusing in your identity, in self-exploration, in church identity, or in how it might transform us? Um, so I think for me, I'm going to kind of go backwards through the list of questions there. Because I think that the thing that always excites me about caucusing as a practice is that it's a form of discipleship. Um, so it, you know, it allows us to become more like, uh, more like the full members of more like Jesus, basically. Um, more, more to be moving through that path towards creating the kingdom and being part of, part of like making that better. And I think that's like an essential part of what it means to be Christian is to be uh, in, improving and growing in our walk with, with Jesus, right? Um, and and specifically, uh, I I think for me, for me personally, um, a lot of what caucusing ends up being is um, kind of learning, like getting the experience both of like learning what other people are experiencing and figuring out how that reflects on me. And so I can like, I like, I like to learn things. So that's like a, a fun thing for me and also like a really useful thing. Um, but then also it's an opportunity for me to like, to like use the understanding that I've, and the experiences that I've been gaining over the last couple of years of like doing this work, um, which is a different type of discipleship right after he's gone through all of these identity pains and crises and a system that oppresses him, but also dealing with the personal stuff of like, who am I? What is the world? What will life be? Um, is that he has time to see who he is, to see the ways in which he has contributed to harm, to see the ways in which he has been shaped by harm, to believe that he is less, that he cannot make change. And that's still his first instinct, right? When God comes to him and says, you can be a liberator in my name. <laughs> you can free people and you can be free. It's still his first instinct to say, mm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but that, that work of growing, of maturing, um, and also God setting some things on fire, right? <laughs> Which is often how our lives change. Uh, and I hope for you that you have those experiences too. Allows him to see that we can move forward and trust and we can be different. We can be different. This is the gift of knowing Jesus. This is the gift of loving God. Um, that we can be different and that if we aren't different right away, we are still beloved and there is still a path ahead of us and grace is real. And it's not about who we become, but it is about believing in the possibility of things being better because we're together.